0: Father, today as we come to your word, I do ask, Lord, I ask that you would minister to our hearts. Lord, we hit a section here where, uh, God, it's just a, a place where it causes us to look within, causes us to look at our lives and see where we're at, see what's real and what's not real. And I pray, I pray that as the author of Hebrews just kinda shoots out some things to these people or the people of his generation, that Lord, it would so impact our lives that we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be offended by it, we wouldn't be put off by it, but Lord, if we need to change, we would change. We would take today and, and, and put it deep in within us and understand, God, that if we have a relationship with you, that has to show up somewhere in our lives. And so I pray you would bless this time, God, and that you would have your way in our lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, today we kind of, as we hit the end of Hebrews, he really gets into, especially this last chapter, into ethics. In other words, he's given us truth at least for 11 chapters. Chapter 12, we kind of begin to transition. But if you've been given truth, then truth should affect your life. And something that bothers me about modern culture is we try and teach ethics without any truth behind it and without any, you know, anything to, to substantiate it. The Bible always gives us truth or doctrine and then says, here's what doctrine should mean in your life. Here's how you should flesh that out. So the author of Hebrews is challenging these people to walked the walk that God has given them, and again, he's gone through everything. Now, here's the thing, though. They have lived in such a way where they have insulted their culture. Hmm. You see, they have believed God and walked away, and their culture doesn't accept them, and sometimes that gets hard, right? Our culture pushes back. Some. Have the tendency, well, let's move more toward the culture so we feel more comfortable. And that's the wrong thing to do. So the author of Hebrews is making sure they're not going to shift in that direction. They're not going to go with the culture, but they're going to go with truth. So he challenges them in several things here in these first few verses that we're going to look at. And he kind of, to me, he's pushing them into start living this and start fleshing it out. So in verse 1 of chapter 13, it's a kind of one of those short verses. It's one that you can memorize pretty easily. Let brotherly love continue. Now, it's not complex, but think about what he says, because I think it's important the way he puts it. He doesn't say, you guys start loving each other. He doesn't say, you must love each other. He says, let brotherly love continue. What's implied there? That brotherly love is already there. Now, why would he word it in that way? Because if you're born again, listen carefully. If you're born again, you're part of a family, whether you like it or not. You're part of a family, and it unites us together. It brings us together. And, you know, I know today we got the big thing about brother, sister, whatever, but you know what he's saying. When he's saying let brotherly love, he's saying let the unity and the peace of the body continue that happened when you're born again. Now, as I read that, listen, it makes a lot of sense to me, but some of us, some of us are part of families. We're in our physical, our natural family. All there is is backbiting, fighting, fighting. Clawing at each other. And here's the thing: then we bring that into the church, and we're part of the church family, and we want to backbite, claw, and bite each other. No, that's not what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to be caring for one another. We're supposed to have this element of peace among us. And listen, we don't have to work it up. You don't have to go, oh, man, i got gonna do this. You just have to let it continue. What he's saying is the Holy Spirit has done a work in our lives, and we can either nurture that and let it grow and let it flourish, or we can suppress it and stifle it and kind of snuff it out. It's our decision. So there is a sense, this is an act of the will. I either have to believe God that I'm part of this family and part of what's going on, or I can act out of my flesh and really blow it. Now, in my life, I don't know about you guys in my life, I would love to tell you that I walk in the Spirit 24-7. That's not true. And I don't like it. Listen, I don't like it when I react in situations, especially to brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I flesh out on it. I don't like that. And again, I wish I could tell you I've never experienced that in my life, but I have. And so listen, man, when I read this, I think that's what I wanna be. Check this out, it's not just the author of Hebrews. Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Philippians chapter two, we're gonna look at that just in a couple weeks here on Thursday nights. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to his own interests, but also into the interests of others. So he tells us, listen, this is what we're supposed to be doing as the church. Now I think, listen, I think verse one, is kind of the foundation of what we're gonna look at for the next five verses. He lays this foundation, and the foundation is love. This idea, again, not some emotional thing, but a brotherly love, he lays that foundation. Now he says, and some of us may say, well, what does brotherly love look like? And so he's going to let us know. He's going to kind of go through these different things of where we can exercise brotherly love. So the first one in verse two, do not forget to entertain strangers for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Oh, so now listen, right away he gets into this area. Hey, let's entertain strangers. Wow, is that fun or what? And I don't think, listen, I don't think he's saying we need to go out on the street and grab people and, and, and bring them home and have them home. I don't think he's talking about that. I think he's talking about you and I need to show hospitality, let brotherly love continue. We need to have hospitality toward one another. And as he brings this up, he says, he says, unwittingly, some have entertained uh, angels. Now, when I read that, I think back in Genesis, right? In Genesis, Abraham had three people show up, they ended up being angels. And then Lot, the same thing, the angels come to his house and he brings them in. In Judges, we have Samson's uh, parents who, who uh, interacted with an angel. We have, we have Gideon who interacted. So listen carefully now. He's not telling you and I entertain strangers because you just might luck out and get an angel. Because some of us think, okay, well, I could do that. Maybe, maybe I'll be the one that gets an angel. That's not it. Here's what he's trying to let us know. God so values hospitality that he's saying, listen, when you entertain strangers, it's like you're entertaining an angel. God puts high value on hospitality. Now, I believe, listen, I believe hospitality can look different and different generations, different cultures. And I don't wanna to read too much into, you know, you need to bring people over, have them spend a the night. Hey, we know in that culture at that time, you know, inns and stuff were not great places, but that's not today. And so it always cracks me up when we try and plug what's, va- what's valid for them and make it valid for us. Bottom line, here's what, here's what I try and do in my life. I try and treat people I don't know well the same as I would treat somebody who I really know. Are you with me on that? Listen, it's, it's easy to hang out with people you, you like, right? You've got to know, it's easy. What about hanging out with some people you don't know very well? And one thing I've had the privilege of doing is traveling around and going around the world. I have gone to fellowships where I didn't know anybody, and yet I was accepted as one of them. And I don't think they thought I was an angel just thought I'd put that in there. And I interacted with them as though I've known them for a long time. Do you see what he's talking about? If we're going to let brotherly love continue, that's not just a theory. It's not just some verse we can memorize, not just some chant we can say. It's something we put feet to. And we start, listen, we start interacting with people. And and, Again, maybe people that we're not real close to, have you ever thought about that? And he says, hey, let's get together. In other words, who is going to support you if the church doesn't support you? And I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about emotionally and caring for one another. We're it. The world doesn't like us. Have you figured that out yet? It's going to like us a lot less after today. But listen, man, he's saying, this is what you need to do. You need to be people who you're committed to this and and you're walking through this and you're doing it. And then a little bit further, verse three, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also." Oh, now it gets a little bit more difficult. You know, listen, here's the way I look at it. I think this guy's like pushing us, right? He keeps pushing us and pushing us and here's what you need to do. And now listen, now he's telling you and I we need to care for people who are maybe incarcerated and we might even we might even put it this way, who are isolated. Now, I think listen, I don't think he's telling us that we need to care for Everybody in prison, I think that's, we should be people involved, but I'm not sure that's what he's going for. Remember, these guys are being persecuted for their faith. They were put in prison for their faith. Some of them were chained for their faith. When was the last time you gave even any thought to a brother or sister in Iran or China? or one of those countries who's in prison? When was the last time you even, not, not even prayed for him, you even just gave a thought about him? Even, it, it even came to your mind. And yet they're brothers and sisters in the Lord. They're part of our body. They're part of us. And he's saying, listen, you need to be involved in that. Now, can we go to China and physically take care of those? Probably not. But we can pray for them. We can lift them up. And I don't think he's always talking about going and physically taking care of people. I think it's more, listen, we need to be people who we're united with them and we understand that and we need to be part of that as though, here's what he's saying, as though that was you there or as that was, what if if today, what if uh, some people came in here and arrested the person sitting next to you? I bet you'd be praying then on which side, someone said. (laughs) 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 Oh, you guys. (laughs) drive me crazy. (laughs) You'd be caring then, wouldn't you? You'd be worried then. You would be showing sympathy and empathy then. Well, shouldn't we be doing the same now, even though they're not right beside us? And the author is saying, listen, and again, I think it was a little bit closer for them because they had actual family members. They had people close to them who were put in chains, prisoned, persecuted for their faith. So that's a little bit different when it's right up close, but still, we shouldn't neglect that. In other words, here's what I'm trying to get across. We can't read chapter 13 and say, well, you know what? I really don't know anybody in prison, you know, for their faith. And so it really doesn't affect me. No, that's not an option, You see, he's not saying, as he says, well, let brotherly love continue when it fits your situation. You know what that's called? Situational ethics, which is in reality, no ethics. And so because of doctrinal truth, what Jesus Christ has done in our life, we need to be people who we need to, and listen, he's not saying we need to go get them out. He says, remember them. Remember them. So bring them up in prayer. Lift them up. L- embrace them in that way. And then, listen, now, now, some people think he changes. I think here's where he's really pushing this whole train to. Are you ready? Here's where we're going to get kicked off of Facebook. As we're going. Ready? So listen to what he says now. Brotherly love. He says, marriage is honorable among all. Let's just stop there and think about what he just said. Marriage is honorable among all. I pray that we understand, God is the one who instituted marriage. Not the government, not the nation, not the state, not a country. God instituted marriage. In the very beginning, he is the one. And marriage to me, as you read through the Bible, seems to be one of the core, core values in life, period. The family, the core family is so valuable and so essential for society to function properly. And that's being destroyed in our country. It's being ripped apart. And he says, listen, marriage is honorable. Marriage isn't, I can decide what it is. I can make believe. No, God has defined marriage. God has defined marriage, listen carefully, as one woman and one man being married. Not two men, not two women. We can't redefine it. And something that really upsets me is the world today is trying to rip that off. God made marriage. Now, I believe this, and some of you are going to maybe want to walk out right now, but don't. I believe, I believe a nation has a right to do civil unions so that people can be taken care of who believe differently than I believe. I think that's something. Don't we live in a free country? Yes. And some of you are going, not that free, bro. <laughs> we live in a free country, and I think our government can do things. Here's my problem. Don't call it marriage. Call it whatever you want, Call it a civil union, call it a union—I don't care what you call it—but do not call it marriage. Don't rip off marriage. Hey, they ripped off the rainbow. Another one to rip off marriage, and they're wanting to call it something else. What is this month? A couple people know. Most of you are clueless, right? What is this month? Pride Month. What is, when is the biggest pride celebration in our county? What day of the week is, or what day of this month is the biggest pride celebration in our county? Father's Day. That's not by accident. That doesn't happen by accident. That is a direct attack on the family unit and a direct attack on what we're looking at this morning. The family's important. And I don't care, listen, I don't care what we plug it into, whether it's the LGBTQAI+, or whether we're talking about, even if we're talking about critical race theory, all of those things, when you take the family unit out of those situations, you've already lost. You've already destroyed it. And here God makes this powerful impact statement. He says, listen carefully. Marriage is honorable to all. That's an important thing. We need to understand, listen, we need to understand this thing we have, marriage, is a gift from God. It's valuable to God. It's a treasure he's given us. And that's a good thing, and we should be people celebrating that, and we should be people hanging on to that and not worrying about, listen, don't worry about what the culture is going to do to you if you stand up for marriage, if you stand up for God, if you stand up for truth. You can't be in that, listen, you can't be swayed by the culture to say, hey, the culture says this, so you know what? I'm going to lighten up on it a little bit. You can't do that. Marriage is honorable to all. Now he gets a little bit, now he gets a little bit in our business. He says, it's honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. I think what's kind of funny, now this is why we have children's ministry. You'll find out in a minute, some of you are going to have some homework with your children if they're in here. God is the one who invented this thing called sex, sexual intercourse. It's a gift from God. It's not something as Christians we need to go, <gasps> and some of you right now, I can't believe you said that in church, Pat. It's okay, take a breath, it's all right. What did he just say? The marriage bed is important. It's an important. This thing that we, we call sex and, and sexual intercourse, listen, that is the most intimate relationship you can ever have in your life outside of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's important. And here's what he says it's honorable when it's done within the bounds of matrimony. When it's done within the bounds. Now, some people say, well, you know, what was marriage then? Well, if you read your Bible, God brought Eve to Adam and they were united as one. Jesus did his very first miracle where? At a wedding. Jesus challenged the woman at the well when she came to him and he said, hey, I know that the guy you're with now is not your husband. Neither were the five before that. Why? Because they didn't have this ceremony that he's talking about. Listen, the Bible is explicit. And then in Ephesians, the Holy Spirit likens the church and the relationship to the church in Christ as a relationship to a husband and wife. Are you kind of getting the idea the whole trinity is involved in this thing called marriage? It's important. And he's saying, listen, man, as we we come together, we have that intimate relationship with our spouse. That can be the most beautiful thing in the world when it is done according to the bounds of marriage, period. You know what you wear for safe sex? A wedding ring. Think about that. And listen, God is is real here. I love this part. So he says, hey, it's honorable. And I love the idea that he brings in the sexual part of marriage right on top of that. Having sexual intercourse in marriage isn't a horrible thing. It's not an ugly thing. It's a beautiful thing. Now, after he says that, listen, after he says that, now he's going to speak to our culture. He says, listen, he says, but fornicators and adulterers will be judged. Oh, isn't it interesting, and this is one of the places, one of the rare places where it's brought up in this light. Usually, scripturally, when you read it, it talks about fornicating, or it talks about adultery. I think it's interesting that the author of Hebrews put the two together to let us know they're not synonyms. They're not meaning the same thing. Fornicating is one thing, adultery is another thing. And he lets us know that. Years ago, we had a guy in our fellowship, this cracked me up, we had a guy in our fellowship who started bothering women in our fellowship. And Pastor Jack and I called him into the office. And we started talking to him and he said, nowhere in the Bible does it say sex outside of marriage isn't good. And I go, dude, you have not read your Bible. (laughs) And then we had a long conversation, then it got loud, then he left. Listen, fornicating is any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage, period. Any. I don't care, I don't care how, how you put it together, what you put together. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is wrong. It's fornicating. Now, now something that cracks me up, years ago, years ago, there was a person uh, writing a book, and, and this person was a King James-only person. Kind of cracked me up and, and she supposedly had a doctorate, but I found out later her doctorate was in interior decorating. But she wrote this thing on on thing, and she said, she said, now, and she was against all the new translations because they were new age. This is back in the in the 80s. But here's what she said. She says, you know, modern translations, some of your translations don't have fornication, they have sexual immorality, right? And she goes, That's not good. She goes, if you talk to a college kid today and talk about sexual immorality, they have a whole different standard, and you have to explain what you mean. And I agree with that. Hey, if I talk to a secular college group, their idea of sexual immorality and my idea of sexual immorality are going to be two different things, and I'm going to have to explain myself. But she went on this long thing, and that's why you need to use the word fornicate. And here's what I thought. You go on a college campus today and tell people to quit fornicating. You know what they're going to say? I don't even know what that is, so I'm not doing it, right? You're going to have to explain yourself either way. I don't care what word you use. That always cracked me up. So whether we use fornication or whether we use the word sexual immorality, the Bible is explicit and God's heart is explicit that any sexual activity outside the bonds of marriage is wrong and is sin, and here he says it will be judged. Why is God so, so strong on that? For one reason. Because it's an intimate relationship that is not supposed to be broken. There's not supposed to be t- between, you know, several people. It's one man, one woman. It's a strong, intimate relationship, and there's some of us who have had. A failed marriage and we're in another marriage we know what that feels like we know what that's like so here's what he's saying man don't do that and then the other word he uses is adultery what is adultery adultery is not honoring your vows and cheating on your spouse having sexual activity with someone who's not your spouse while you're married that's adultery I don't think that's a hard one to define. I don't think we need to go into a lot about that. So here's what he says. He says, marriage is honorable among all. Do not let the marriage bed be defiled. Adulterers and fornicators will be judged. I think often there's immediate judgment. There's a thing that goes around called STD sexually transmitted diseases. That's a judgment, I believe. And once again, you wanna you want not get those? Then only have sex with your, your, your wife or your husband, period. And so, listen, he lays that out. And then I think there's a judgment. You can read for homework. You can read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 5, Revelation 21, Revelation 22. I'll talk about this same subject of, of sexual purity. And you can check those out. You can read them and you can look at them if you need more explanation. So he lays that out. So now, let brotherly love continue in your interaction with strangers, in your interaction with. Uh, people that are incarcerated or isolated. I like the idea today of isolation. We need to be concerned about people who are isolated. And then, in your marriage, do you know that you need to have not just that, quote, love that we have, that attractive love, eros love for your spouse, you also need to have that agape love you need to have that. So he's saying, man, you got to do all of that now. Now he like pushes it one step further. Now I got up and people, some of you are going, it's none of your business what I do behind my doors. Yeah, that's true. It's not. It's God's business. But listen, man, now we get into something that nobody likes to talk about. Listen to what he says. Verse 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Oh, some of your translations say, say, look, let your conduct be uh, without the love of money. Man, anytime you talk about money in church, people get all uptight, don't they? Man, they start, don't you talk about money? It's my money. Really? And I kind of know what you're feeling like. I remember when Gaynelle and I were first saved and we finally went to a church. We were saved for a while before we went to a church. We finally went to the church and, and then the pastor said, I want to come and meet with you guys in your home. Oh, that like freaked me out. And I said, honey, hide the checkbook. Must be what he's after. And I think that's one of the last areas in our life to get sanctified. I really believe that. Why? Well, because we live in a materialistic society, don't we? I mean, come on, we're in America. I'm not sure I would teach this the same way if I was on the streets of Calcutta. But since I'm in America, here's what I'm gonna tell you. We are covetous. We are people who we are materialistically oriented in our lives. Now, he's telling you and I, we need to live in such a way where we do not allow the love of money to influence us. And again, that's important. What did Jesus say? You can't serve two masters, right? You can't serve money and God at the same time. Paul writes to Timothy and says, the love of money is the root of all evil. So I want us to understand something. Money in and of itself is not evil. It's loving it. It's being attached to it. It's grabbing a hold of it. And we've talked about it before. There are plenty of people biblically who are well off, doing well, and they honor God. So it's not the idea of having things as bad. It's the idea of your things having you that's bad. And he says, listen, let your conduct. Now, when he says that, here's what I'm thinking. My way of life, listen, the way I live should be somebody who I am an example that I don't have a love for money. I'm not a money grubber. I'm not a money hungry person. And I think, I personally think, and maybe I'm off a little bit, I think this should be a message for the church worldwide in America. Not just, listen, not just the fringe people. The church of Jesus Christ, to me, is getting very money hungry. And it bothers me. It bothers me deeply, and I'm talking about godly people. I'm talking to people that are good, and you'll hear things, hey, now the latest thing, the latest thing that all the guys are trying to do, you got a YouTube channel, Pat? Here's what I tell them, I think I do. What do you mean you think you do, don't you know? How many likes you got? I don't know. And then I watch some of these people that I love, and here's what they say, hit that like button, Push us up to the top. We will be better recognized, which means this. Let me translate. We'll get more money. Come on, church. It's not about money. And we need to be careful about that. Our church is blessed. I don't talk about money. When was the last time I talked about giving? When we were in, I think, a little bit in Ephesians. I don't talk about giving much because, number one, you guys are generous. We have one of the most generous churches I've ever been part of. And I'm not saying that just, you know, to say things. And sometimes the board will say, quit telling people they'll think they're giving too much and they'll stop. We have a generous church, and it's a blessing to be part of a church that you you don't have to, hey, come on, come on, dig a little deeper. Our church, do you know that our giving has grown during COVID? Is that great? Hey, that's not me. That's Our church. We're a good church. So part of this is like, I don't even know if I need to teach this to our church because most of us are not people who are in love with money. But just in case, just in case there's a little bit of you leaning that way, he says, listen, don't be covetous. Now what is one of the greatest, listen carefully, what is one of the greatest weapons against being covetous? Think about, what is it? Contentment, right? If you're content, you're not covetous. If you're covetous, you're not content. And we need to understand that. And, and listen, you don't have to be wealthy to be covetous. You just got to be somebody who you want just a little bit more. No matter what you have, you want more. And you want it now. So here's what he says He says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Listen carefully. Be content with such things as you have. So here he's telling you and I, we need to be people who are not covetous, we're content with what we have. And you need to ask yourself, am I content with what I have? Am I content right now? Or am I trying to scheme ways and think ways and get a little bit more, and am I, am I somebody who I'm, I'm hanging on to what I have? Am I somebody that I get uptight, even today when Pat brings up giving in the church, I'm thinking, don't you talk to me about that, I'll do whatever I want. I don't care what you do, personally. Well, I kind of do. I would like you to have a spiritual life. But I don't know who gives to this church. I have no clue. I always tease the counters. We have people who gather the money and count it and deposit it and and register it and stuff, and I always tease them. I go, I don't handle filthy lucre. I handle the Word of God. (laughs) He says, be content with what you have. Now, that doesn't mean you're complacent, but you're content. You're not going after. Are you content? Now, how do I find contentment? And here's the question. How do I find contentment? That contentment. Look at what he says. Here's the next thing Be content with what I have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Oh, oh. How can I get contentment? I think your contentment can only come from one place the Lord. And when you come to a place, a spiritual place, where you can trust the Lord with everything, then you will find the contentment that he's talking about, and you're not worried about your stuff. Here's what I know. My stuff is God's stuff, and he can take care of it however he wants. Rarely does God ask my opinion on things. Like, I don't think God always makes the best political decisions, if you know what I mean. I don't. I think, wow, really? And sometimes he doesn't make the best decisions with things I have. Because it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? It's gone. Why is it gone? Well, because you didn't need it, Pat. At that time, he calls me Patrick. Are you content that way? Here's the one thing that they can never take away from you that's the Lord. When the Lord, listen, man, when you get that settled in your heart, deep in your heart, again, not just phrases to say, not just things, but you settled it in your heart, you have a contentment, and you have a peace that surpasses all understanding, and you're in that place, and you're going, hey, I don't care. I don't care. You can take that. It, listen, my stuff doesn't define me. My stuff doesn't validate my life. God validates my life. My relationship with God is the thing that defines me and makes me who I am. So that's all he's saying. We need to be careful, especially in our culture. And then one more thing. Listen, verse 6. So we may boldly say, listen, if you really believe that, here's what you're going to boldly say. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Woo, yes, yes what are you going to do to me? You know, read some. I've told you before, read some of the martyrs. I love love quotes from the martyrs. Like, man, listen, they're getting ready to chop a guy's head off, and they're saying, I'm going to take this from you. He goes, that's fine. I'm paraphrasing. That's fine. I have Jesus. Well, then I'm going to take this. That's fine. I have Jesus. I'm going to take your life. That's fine. I have Jesus. You see, once you come to that place, boldly you can say, listen, boldly you can say, man, the Lord is my helper. I'm not going to be afraid of you. I'm not afraid of what you can do because, listen, you can only touch the temporal things here in this world. You can't touch the eternal. So if you want to mess with my temporal things, go for it. Hmm. Man, when you reach that place in your Christian life, you're sort of indestructible. Not in the sense that you're gonna go like stand in front of a truck. You know what I mean. You're in that place, man. You're indestructible and you're gonna go for it and you're not gonna be afraid to do things for the Lord. You're not gonna be afraid to go certain places. You're not gonna be afraid about this. You're gonna say, hey, the Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? Oh, he can take my stuff. Well, you know what? Take my stuff, but you can't take my heart. You can't take my relationship. Hallelujah, huh? So do you hear, listen, man, this is that beat up church, wherever they are, bunch of Hebrews, and man, they're they're tired. And here's what I love. He doesn't coddle them and say, look, I know you guys are worn out. I know you guys have been through a lot of spiritual warfare. I know things are tough. And you know what? We'll just sequester you away from the world, and you can take it easy. What does he say? Stand up, put on your big boy pants, pull them up, pull them up real big, and start walking like a Christian. Don't we need to do that? Yeah, we need to do that in our world, right? So let's believe the truths we were taught from chapter 1 to chapter 11. Do a little, do some chapter 12. Remember chapter 12, we're all marathoners? And we're in that race. And then chapter 13, man, we're just going to hit one thing after another thing after another thing that to me is called the ethics the biblical ethics that you and I need to live by. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that once again we have this, we have this word in front of us that, Lord, is challenging. We read it, and, and Lord, I don't think, I don't think we can read this and just kind of go, oh, that was sort of nice, or that was some good things. But, Lord, it's, it's either going to, work in our hearts and convict us and cause us to make some changes in our life and some dire- change some direction in our life or it's just gonna make us mad and we're just gonna get angry and we're gonna just gonna shove it away like we do a lot of things and stuff and stuff and stuff until we explode. My prayer is that God we would be people who have tender hearts, a willingness to allow you Holy Spirit to work in us, to mold us and shape us. And as we just think about that list, how we deal with strangers, how we deal with, with people who are incarcerated and isolated, how we deal with our marriage and our, even our sexual drive, how we deal with material things, all of those things can be covered under that very first verse, let brotherly love continue. Make that, Lord, make that real in our lives. Something that we understand deep inside. And again, not just shallow understanding. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And listen, if you're here today, and you're someone you came today, maybe someone invited you, or maybe a friend brought you, and you're here and you're hearing all of this, and, and it's kind of freaking you out because you're not born again. And you're looking at that going, wow, that, that's a little strange. And maybe you even elbowed the person who brought you and said, why did you bring me in here today? Well, I believe God brought you, and you're not here by mistake. And you want to have a grasp on these things, you want to better understand them, then you need to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what all of this we just talked about is based on. Having that relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to come to a place where you can admit to God that you're a sinner. That shouldn't be hard. Everybody in this room has sinned. And I think, listen, I think inside everybody knows. It it always cracks me up when people try to explain. I think deep down inside we all know we've sinned. But what we don't realize is that our sin has separated us from God. We have offended a holy God, and now we're separated from him. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, took your sin upon himself, paid the price for your sin, paid the penalty that you deserve, which is eternal separation from God. That's called damnation. You deserve that. He took it upon himself, in a moment, in an instant on the cross, and now he holds out to you. Here, your debt is paid, and all you have to do here, this morning, is take that receipt. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for paying my debt. So I'm gonna say a prayer. You can say it with me out loud, or you can say it silently, but it's gotta come from your heart. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer right in your home. You don't have to be in this building. If you're backslidden today, Man, come home. I like to say it this way. You need to front slide. You need to come back to Jesus and come to that place where where your relationship once again is strong. So say this prayer. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I want you to come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you today to be my Lord and my Savior.